Nevada Gold Corporation controls 18 exploration and development properties covering nearly 50 square miles in Nevada's well-known gold trends. Its flagship Wind Mountain Gold Silver Project is 100% owned and had an independent updated resource estimate and positive preliminary economic assessment in early 2012. This past September, Bravada signed an agreement with Argonaut Gold to further explore and develop Wind Mountain. For further information, please visit bravadagold.com. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights call 718-457-1426 or visit miningstocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its Hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome back to the second hour of Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I do want to thank our sponsors uh, for the second hour for making the show economically viable. They are Airway Energy, Aravista Gold, Blue Sky Uranium, Bravada Gold, Brazil Resources, Dynacor Mining, uh, Eurasian Minerals, Millrock Resources, Northern Free Gold, and Riverside Resources. Well, we're really pleased to have Dominic Frisbee back with us here uh, on the other side of the break. And Dominic, when we left, we were just starting to hit a little bit on the gold price and I, uh, and where gold is is going and how it's fared so well despite the sort of lackluster economic, uh, well, certainly lackluster to poor economic information uh, statistics that we're hearing all the time. Uh, the stock market has not performed very well, as you pointed out, over the last five years, gone nowhere. And yet gold has had a steady rise in its purchasing power relative to other assets. Now, on October 17th, you wrote an article uh, in Money Week that was uh, titled, Gold, Is This Drop a Normal Seasonal Correction or Something Worse? Now, since then, we've seen gold 
pull uh, come you know rise considerably. But what are your thoughts on gold right now? Uh, do you think well, we're ready for another move? Yeah, I mean, my my kind of thoughts on gold, I'm pretty positive about gold at the moment. You know, a lot of people, a lot of the kind of people who don't like gold are saying, well, gold was reached $1,920 an ounce in September 2011, and it's still below that level, and it is. But the fact is, it only really touched that, it was only really August that it went crazy. Um, and so, you know, there's not that many who, people who bought in that month of August, um, August 2011 I'm talking about. And, you know, it's, it's pretty much been... But ever since it reached that high, and it was an excessive high, um, it's, ever since this bull market began, gold has displayed a repeating pattern, which is that it'll, it'll go on one of its moves, and that move will take about six or nine, nine months. And during that time, it'll rise by 50% or something like that. And then depending on the magnitude of the previous move, it then enters a period of consolidation where it retraces a lot of the gains it's just made and um, then kind of whipsaws and trades sideways for a year or so uh, and um, uh, before it kind of gets settled and goes off on another one of its moves. And it did this uh, with a move ending in May 2006 and then gold traded sideways for 18 months. It had another big move into 2000, early 2008 and it traded sideways. In fact, at one stage in 2008, it gained, gave back all the... Um, all the gains it had made on the previous move. But then it moved up for a period, and then it went sideways. And I just think when it reached 1,920, uh, you know, I said this in my column, that we were going to trade sideways for a year or 18 months. And that's exactly what we've done. And, um, but I think we're, that kind of period of consolidation is coming to an end now. In early October, when gold touched 1,800, I said we're going to have a short-term correction. I'm, I'm pretty pleased with the call I made there. And, I, you know, I gave pretty much three reasons. There was too much bullish sentiment. There was a lot, there was a lot of resistance on the chart at $1,800. And um, in October, for some reason, goodness knows why, but you always seem to get some kind of correction in October. And we've had that correction. And, um, you know, I said we're going to go back to about 1680, and everyone and gold was at, you know, 1790 or something at the time. And yeah. one of my readers wrote in and said, I'll, I'll buy you lunch if, you, if we ever go below, if we ever close below $1,700. Again, and lo and behold, we did, and that man, thank you very much, he owes me a nice lunch. But, um, but you know, now, the, the fact is, there's, there's so many reasons to be bullish about gold. One is this kind of repeating pattern that it makes. Another reason, is, is I'm sure a lot of people have spoken about, is gold loves the Democrats. All the gold bugs were saying, oh, Romney's got to win, Romney's going to win. But, you know, the average gain of gold during a, um, a, a presidential term is... Um, uh, 360% or something like that during a Democrat presidential return. Now, if you look at the gold chart, it actually bottomed a week after Obama was first elected in 2008 at um, uh, $700 an ounce. I mean, the idea that you could buy... So during Obama's first term, it's only gone up by 250-odd percent. So it's actually underperformed what it normally does during a democratic, dem democratic term. Now, if it goes up 300 and 50% as it normally does from here, um, then we're looking at, you know, $6,000 gold or something crazy like that. I'm not saying that will happen, but, you know, that would be, you know, the, the historical average. And the, but it looks like gold has put in a low at 1680 the day before the election or two days before the election. Actually, I think it would have went to 1670 on an intraday basis. Now, you know, has it done exactly the same thing it did four years ago, made a low around about the time of, 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 a, of a U.S. election? And I really believe it has. 
And I think this period of consolidation has come to an end. I think gold is now back off the mainstream radar again. It was on the radar last summer. It's off it. You know, I was getting asked to talk on so many programs last summer. I'm talking about summer 2011. Nobody's asking me about gold at the moment. That has to be a, a bullish sign. And, you know, I think we could very easily gold could go on another one of its moves and maybe retest the old highs hopefully even before the, the end of the year that would only be about a 15 percent move from here and then once it, it'll probably take several goes to get through the old highs it's got to get through 1800 dollars first and then you know the next step is we test the old highs but once it goes above them um and maybe closes on a daily or a weekly basis above them there's no reason why i couldn't go up to you know two and a half thousand dollars an ounce or something on the next move that would just be typical of the pattern that it's displayed um o- over the last 12 12 years or so so I, I, really, I, I have to say, you know, I, I, I'm like you. I've got little junior mining stocks in my portfolio, and they're a constant source of frustration to me. <laughs> but I'm glad that once upon a time, I put the majority of the, you know, I put, I, I can't remember what the exact number, but it was something like 75% in physical gold and 25% to speculate in, in mining companies. You know, when a mining company goes on one of those runs and you, you open up your portfolio and you see, my goodness, this stock's up 50% a day. It's great. But when you get one of those horrible markets like we had in 2011, you know, it's, it's, it's just a horrible thing to be invested in. But, but you know, gold, gold, I'm so glad that, you know, you just get that 15% appreciation every year in gold and it's constant over time and it's just a lovely thing to own. Well, indeed. Well, your uh, your projections are certainly in line, I think, with James Turk, who's still, last I talked to him, was still talking about $2,000 before the end of this year. And uh, those bigger numbers might seem ludicrous to us now, but Dominic, I'm older than you. I lived through the time when gold went from 35 to 850 in a, in a New York minute almost. I mean, it was just very, very rapid. We yeah. haven't seen anything yet in this bull market that is like that. We haven't seen this sort of panic into gold. Uh, in my yeah. way of thinking, I remember in New York, uh, the, the lines were around the street to buy gold at Deke Pereira, you know, in, in 1980. And, and there's nothing like that yet. So, but, but your sentiment issue sounds to me spot on because if you're saying you're not being asked to talk about gold on gold sh- on shows anymore right now, that's, I think that's a good, a good argument. But your sentiment issue is probably certainly part of it. So it seems to me at looking at the charts that we're setting up a, a real, basing pattern here, almost like a, a teacup pattern, uh, and ready for possibly for another big run. And, and it's certainly you don't have any problem finding fundamental reasons why that could happen, right? Uh, there, there, we, there's no shortage of fundamental reasons for gold to rally, that's for sure. I mean, James, I, I, you know, I say this as someone who holds James Turk in the highest, highest possible regard, but James is always very bullish in his, pro- in his projections. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. The, James, the, the per, he's a permabull. I'll just tell you a couple of little stories, though, that your listeners might like about gold in the 70s. My mum still recalls gold fever in the, in the 70s. So that, huh. and my stepfather is South African, and uh, back in the 70s, you couldn't get your money out of South Africa. And he fled South Africa in the 70s for various reasons with 50 Krugerrands. And uh, that's how he managed to get his wealth out of South Africa. Mm. And uh, so it's a nice, it's, you know, you kind of hear those stories about, you know, gold is the money of last resort and, you know, and you kind of think, oh, that's just crazy talk. But, you know, as recently as the 70s, you know, my stepdad took, you know, that's what got him started in the UK. Yeah, it's it's certainly there there are stories throughout history about how people had a few gold coins and were able to to buy their way to safety or liberty or whatever. And uh, 
buy his way to liberty. He just he smuggled them out of South Africa. But yeah. but it, it, he, you weren't allowed to take your money out in those days. And and you know he he wanted to leave the country. Uh, uh, you know, understandably, given what was going on there. And, uh, you know, he, he took his 50 Krugerrands, that's 50 ounces of gold. Thank you very much. Yeah, and at that time, I think gold was trading at $35 probably, or thereabouts. It was worth $1,750. Uh, 50 ounces at 1700 today is worth uh, 85000 So, uh, of course, of course, I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm just saying, you know, $85,000 or whatever it is is enough to get you started in another country, you know, start a new life. Yeah. And that, uh, you know, is something that uh, in America it's hard for people to get their heads around because this has been the country of liberty and freedom uh, and, and the last place that people would want to leave uh, the United States of America. Uh, and yet there's sort of an uneasy feeling that, that a lot of us have here about the direction of things to go. We've just gone through our elections. Uh, your comments then, it sounds like a uh, good reason to be more bullish on gold since Obama got back in. I, yeah, and there's another reason as well. There's something that's happened over the last week, Jay, which is very positive, is that gold, the U.S. dollar, and uh, the U.S. long bond have all risen together as stock markets have fallen. Normally, gold with the stock market, give or take. And so the fact that gold, the stock market has fallen as gold has risen, that, that happens very rarely. And when it does happen, it's usually a precursor of gold making a big move. Mm-hmm. So, so all three going up together is, is, a, very bullish, uh, is a very bullish picture. It's, it suggests that gold's being seen as a safe haven rather than a speculative asset. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, very interesting. Well, you also wrote another article a week later uh, in Money Week in which you said, could gold hit pounds sterling 10,000 in the long run? And I'm reminded of John Butler, who was on our show a couple weeks ago following you. John's sort of minimal target uh, is something like 10,000 U.S. dollars. So, I mean, a pound sterling is about twice as valuable as the U.S. dollar, so we'd be looking at uh, 20,000. These are numbers that sound crazy to most people. uh, Actually, well, let me just correct you there, uh, Jay. Pound sterling is about 160 at the moment, okay. or just below about okay. 158. So, okay. you know, if it was to hit 1,000 pounds, that would be uh, $16,000 an ounce. Right, but still a big number. And oh, uh, I'll. That. <laughs> so, what was your uh, and your conclusion? What was your your premise in that article? Well. Um, I'm not saying gold is going to go to those kind of numbers, but it's it's done it's done similar things in the past. Um, the if if you were to I mean if you look at the the ratio of US if if, if if talking about the US just for a second, if the US were to use its 261 million ounces of gold that it has in Fort Knox to pay off its gold uh, to pay off its debt, uh, in order for the uh, gold to be equatable to U.S. debt levels, it would have to be $16,000 an ounce. Okay. Uh, you know, so that's one, you know, that's just a simple ratio between U.S. debt and U.S. gold. And I did a similar thing facing the um, the U.K.'s balance sheet, uh, the Bank of England's balance sheet. I looked at the ratio between the Bank of England's balance sheet and the amount of gold held in the Bank of England. And uh, the the long-term average is for the Bank of England to have enough gold to back 25% of its balance sheet. Currently, 2.7% is backed. We have 310 of gold, uh, about, which is about 10 million ounces, which is worth about 10 
billion pounds. So, uh, and, and the current price of gold is about 1,100 pounds an ounce. So you're looking at a, at a multiple of just under 10 times in order to get back for the, uh, to that you know, historical 25% average. And I should say, you know, when the world was on a gold standard in the glorious age of the 19th century, or the so-called glorious age of the 19th century, actually the pound was only about, and this is when the pound was the global reserve currency, of course, the pound was only about 25% backed by gold uh, in, the, uh, in the 1800s. But, um, so, you know, that's why I'm saying if it was a return to the historical average, but these all require gold to somehow these kind of silly figures that you arrive at will only happen uh, either in some crazy speculative blow off top or in the event that gold resumes its role its historical role as money officially right Right. and and with regard i'm sorry go ahead people are still using gold unofficially as money because people are using gold to, to store their wealth but i mean if it is achieve official recognition, um, which, you know, I mean, Butler says it's inevitable and he may or may not be right. We'll find out. But, um, you know, when you look at those kind of figures, the ratio of debt to gold, that you, you start getting into kind of crazy, crazy number territory. Right. And I should mention that Butler's view is not necessarily that we're going to go back onto a gold standard where gold will be uh, exchangeable for your paper. Uh, Not that the individual will have the right to go back onto a gold standard, but he believes it will be uh, international trade will force that uh, to happen. And I don't know that it's necessarily the kind of gold standard that you and I would like to see so that we could hold our domestic bankers uh, 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 to some level of honesty. But in fact, um, that he believes that there are forces, geopolitical forces, that will that will pull us back to uh, globally to some sort of a trade uh, trade standard uh, based on gold, but maybe much as we had before Nixon, perhaps. Which I guess would be uh, 1971 was really a disaster, I think, uh, for allowing unlimited amounts of money to be pre- uh, created in the in the banking system. But if we were to go back to some sort of a system like that, so. Uh, and, and Butler's point is that $10,000 would be sort of a minimal number that would be workable. So, you know, while these are crazy numbers and nobody knows, nobody can really predict the future, uh, there are numbers that I think people should keep in mind because really what we are being asked to do is measure everything in a unit of measure that makes no sense. Unlimited numbers of pounds sterling, unlimited numbers of dollars can be created out of out of thin air. So it's, it's really a very difficult uh, – it's very difficult to run your life when you're asked to measure uh, everything you buy in a unit of measure that doesn't make sense. But uh, another uh, editorializing, that's an, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I just said I couldn't agree more, James. I, I, I couldn't agree more, Jay. Yeah, and, and so, you know, I, I want to ask you about your book. You've got a book that's coming up, and I, I just want to make sure that we cover this one before we're out of time. Uh, you're writing a book now, Dominic, After the State. Can you tell our listeners about this book? What is it about? Uh, are we going to get rid of the state? I mean, after the state, what happens? Uh, and, and how can people avail themselves to this? How can they, It's not written yet, but how can they line themselves up to get a copy of this? Well, okay, it's a book called Life After the State, and okay. it's basically uh, the culmination of my kind of seven or eight years uh, following gold and writing about it and looking at money and so on and so forth. And... Um, I had various options to get it published, and, and in the end, I came across these publishers called Unbound, 
who are using uh, what's called the crowd funding model, where you you pitch your book, and if enough people like the book, uh, they they all pledge money, and then if if you raise uh, what it costs to get the book published, you then go away and write the book, and uh, and then they publish it, and then it's um, sent out to all the people who who bought it. Um, it's, a, it's a lovely model, and I really like the people from Unbound, and uh, so I was persuaded to go with them. But actually, I'd already written the book. I'm now rewriting it, um, and uh, hopefully, it'll, it'll, well, it, we've got it fully funded now, so it'll be published early Good. next year. Um, but I mean, you can still, if you want to get your name in it, you can still, um, uh, you can still uh, pre-order a copy. And uh, the, the website is, um, if you type in Unbound and Life After the State into Google, you'll find it. Um, right. But anyway, let me just tell you a little bit about the book. Um, the, when I get into arguing, I just see so much wrong with the world, the, you know, from unnecessary wars to this horrendous gap between rich and poor to the next generation that's coming through who just don't seem to have any money and, um, or any opportunity. And, you know, I subscribe to the view that, that I don't believe most people are, you know, in inverted commas, bad. I believe, you know, some people behave badly some of the time. But on the whole, you know, we are mostly good. And I ask myself, how has the world managed to get itself into such a mess if, you know, man is mostly good? And the conclusion that I've drawn is that our systems are to blame. And, you know, what... It's, it's very easy to make a law, but to, want, to repeal a law once it exists is, 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 very, is very difficult. And these systems keep being created. And once they're created, they've kind of this kind of self-perpetuating, ever-growing government monster has been created. I think government is now something like 50% of employees are um, uh, in the UK work for the government, some crazy number like that. And my, the whole attitude of my book is arguing that the free market that, that firstly that governments have too much power and they abuse that power they and the reason that they have too much power is that they have this control over money this monopoly on money so one of the first things i call for in the book is for the free market to decide what we use as money um, and for competing currencies that aren't just government currencies Gold could be a, an example, Bitcoin could be an example, so on and so forth. But the other thing I argue is that, you know, in 1900, uh, in the UK, something like 8% of our income was spent on government. And now, something like just shy of 50% of what the average worker in the UK earns gets spent on government. And it's similar numbers for the states. And it's not just that... that a higher proportion of our earnings go on government. Our earnings have increased, but yet we are poorer because. So we're spending many, and, and there's various estimates, but it's been calculated that we now spend something like 40 times uh, on government now what we did, uh, you know, 110 years ago, and that's a colossal number. For now, obviously, the government gives us more than it gave us 110 years ago. It gives us health care. I mean, it, it, it gives it to you in the States in a rather more oblique way, but never, the, you know, with insurance and so on. But it gives us education. It gives us all sorts of things. And I argue that government, the government systems, push up the cost of health care and they push up the cost of education. You know, um, and the free market would be a much better provider of education 
and healthcare as it was in the 19th century than, than government is. And so I'm pushing for free market to supply all sorts of things that government su- currently supplies us with and we'll end up being a lot richer because we'll, have be, we'll be taxed less, we'll have more earnings and the essential things we want are, um, will become considerably cheaper. Did you know that up until 1870 in the UK, um, education was almost completely uh, um, supplied by the free market. Well, it was totally supplied by the free market, and government only got it in the 1870s. There were, there are now more illiterate people in the UK than there were in 1870. A higher so literacy has actually fallen, has, has actually, it, illiteracy has actually grown the more government has got, got involved in education. Now I think, how much does it cost to, for example, to teach a foreign language? You know, you've got to build a government, you've got to build a building, you've got to have uh, a teacher from France or whatever language it is you want to learn, and you've got to hire them, you've got to pay all their costs, and it, you know, just the simple act of learning a foreign language is incredibly expensive. But if you look at what the free market has done, I can download an app and I can get with that app on my computer or my iPhone or whatever, I can get proficient in a foreign language for about two (laughs) dollars. Yes, yes, indeed. And and certainly, Dominic, in here in the United States, it's much the same. Uh, We're spending unlimited amounts of money, it seems, on education, and yet the standards are continuing to decline. So clearly... State, uh, well, and, and certainly part of that has to do with the monopoly, right? It's a monopoly, and there's no, uh, and there's not nobody to hold them in check. Isn't that generally true with, uh, with any government service? Yeah, well, absolutely. It's the monopoly. It's and and it's and it's it's you know competition breeds efficiency, and there's no competition. But it, right. it's crazy that that and and you know the first pe- thing that people spend their disposable money on once they've fed themselves and clothed themselves and given them shelter, is self-improvement for them and their families. And, and you, so the idea that government needs to spend all this money on education, otherwise people won't be able to read and write, it's crazy. Words are everywhere, you know, on TV and computers. Words are everywhere. So how can people be more illiterate now than they were 110 years ago? Yeah, that's it's a very crazy. good point. That's- that's a very good point. I would suggest there's another reason the state wants to hang on to education, and that is for propaganda purposes. If you uh, you can certainly avoid uh, asking too many questions. If you uh, if the state is the giver of all truths, then you don't uh, need to look elsewhere, and so therefore there isn't the competition in terms of ideas as well. I would suggest that the uh, the Keynesian economic model, for example, is one that serves this notion of bigger and bigger states and less competition. Wouldn't you agree? I couldn't agree more, and in fact, I'm just about to, to read a quote for you, but um, this is from the, uh, the philosopher John Stuart Mill, who actually uh, um, uh, approved of state education in the 19th century because he felt that if the government offered, offered education, uh, it would keep the private sector, uh, it would regulate the private sector. In other words, he, he was as a form of, of forcing good practice onto the private sector. But um, let me just see if I can find this quote for you as I talk. Here's that quote. This is from the 19th century philosopher John Stuart Mill. A general state education is a mere contrivance for molding people to be exactly like one another. Oh, there we go. And 
tasks them is that which pleases the predominant power in the government, whether this be a monarch, a priesthood, an aristocracy, or the majority of the existing generation. In proportion as it is efficient and successful, it establishes a despotism over the mind, leading by natural tendency to one over the body. Wow. That is really, really revealing, and I think it's exactly spot on. I think that's what's happening. That's what's happening to us, is that they're getting everybody to think alike, right? I mean, you hear all these economists, these Ph.D. economists that come on the major news media, and they're all just sort of mimicking what Bernanke said or what Greenspan said or what somebody else said, and they're not thinking. They're just simply regurgitating. Isn't that what our educational system is about? It's regurgitation rather than thinking? Absolutely, and what's being, you know, I think the definition of dogma is an opinion that has somehow in the mind become a fact. And, uh, you know, what, what, what are considered facts are really just dogma. And state dogma. You know, uh, Dominic, there were other quotes that you had given in a speech, and I know uh, you made a couple of them, well, one of them last week was one from Lord Rothschild, uh, and I think these are these are very important quotes from very important people, and they they're important because they show the direction of policy. So, uh, for example, if, would you care to, to pass those on? We're just about out of time, but I, I think these are quotes that our listeners should should be aware of. And then thank you for that one from uh, John Stuart Mill. So I think that's that's extremely important. Uh, but for some others, here you go, Jay. I'm going to give you one more quote about education, and this is from Mark Twain. Yes, I did have a public schooling, but I never let it interfere with my education. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's brilliant. <laughs> brilliant. Uh, a couple more quotes, if you could, before we, before we say goodbye to you this time, uh, because we are out of time. John, John uh, are, go ahead. Uh, the, the famous one uh, that, that does the rounds on the Internet, and, and it, I mean, everyone knows it now, but it is, these things do the rounds because they are so good, and this is from the old... Uh, banker, uh, Mayor Amschel Rothschild in 1790, who said, let me issue and control a nation's money, and I care not who writes the laws. And um, he's absolutely right. If you control the money, you, you've got, you control everything else. This is one of my favorite um, quotes from George Bernard Shaw, uh, 19th century playwright, early 20th century playwright and philosopher. You have to choose as a voter between trusting to the natural stability of gold and the natural stability and intelligence of governments. I advise you, as long as the capitalist system lasts, to vote for gold. Yeah. And uh, gold is the money of natural law. And um, I'm going to finish, Jay, if I may, with one more quote. Please. Uh, and this um, comes from a great friend of mine, Adrian Sear. <laughs> who's a sound engineer, and he sent me this quote uh, this morning, and it reads as follows, don't ask anyone in authority, they don't know either. <laughs> that's, that's brilliant. That's, that's excellent. Well, thank you very much, Dominic, uh, for all of your words of wisdom, and you uh, really wish you the best, and again, uh, I want to recommend to our to our listeners uh, that you keep up with Dominic and, and all that he's doing. Uh, DominicFrisbee.com is one place you can go to. Uh, buy his book as well. Actually, uh, I did sign up for his book, and I guess I'll get my name on that book, Dominic? You certainly, you certainly will. 
That's fabulous. I, I really look forward to receiving it, reading it, uh, and really uh, look forward to keeping up with your work and, and mentioning it from time to time, and if we're fortunate enough to get you back again sometime in the future. I'd love to, Jay. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Folks, don't go away. I'll be right back uh, after the break with Joseph Kizus. He's the president of Bravada Gold Corporation. That's a company that I feel exceptionally, uh, that is very much undervalued at this point in time uh, for reasons that I think will be clear when we talk to, uh, to Joe Kizus. Don't go away. I'll be right back. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Arrowway Energy is an oil-focused Canadian-based production and exploration company operating in the Peace River Arch region of northern Alberta, Canada, with a land base of over 28,000 hectares, surrounded by major oil and gas producers such as Birchcliff Energy and Shell Canada. Arroway is currently producing 650 BOE per day, 90% oil. Arroway is debt-free, cash flow positive, and funded through its 2012 drill program. Arroway is listed on the OTCQX under the symbol ARWJF and on the TSX Venture under the symbol ARW. Ladies and gentlemen, the reality is that exploration for mineral deposits is risky business, though the rewards for shareholders can be enormous. At Millrock Resources, we don't believe in risking your investment on a treasure hunt. We believe in leveraging shareholder capital to generate projects and partnering with mining giants such as Kinross, Ballet, Inmet, and Tech to fund our exploration in the mining-friendly states of Alaska and Arizona. By utilizing this business model, Millrock Resources increases the potential of finding economic gold and copper deposits and maximizing shareholder wealth. For more information, Please visit us at www.millrockresources.com or find us on the TSX Venture under MRO. Our Vista Gold Corporation's principal asset is the Dewey Project, which currently has a 43-101 compliant resource of approximately 3 million ounces of gold and is considered to be one of the last undeveloped, low-grade, bulk tonnage potential super pits in Quebec. The Dewey Project has significant potential to further grow the resource by both step-out drilling as well as further infill drilling within the existing porphyry. Our Vista has a well-designed, extensive 35,000-meter 100-hole drill program planned for Q4 2012, with results expected in early 2013 and an updated resource estimate to follow. Our Vista Gold trades on the TSXV under the symbol AVA. For further details, please visit www.arvistagold.com. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me uh, Joseph Kieses. He's the president and CEO of Bravada Gold. Bravada Gold is a recommendation in my newsletter. It's also a sponsor to this show, uh, and it's a company that I also own personally for my uh, in my retirement account. I purchased it recently uh, because it is a very inexpensive stock. And you don't just go out and buy stocks because they're cheap. 
that would be a dumb thing to do. But I bought this company's shares because I believe it has some real value in it that isn't currently recognized by the marketplace. It's 114 million, 115 million shares outstanding, more or less. Uh, six cents a share today, giving it a market cap of around 6.9, call it $7 million overall. Uh, and so uh, I want to welcome Joe. Thank you very much for joining me uh, to explain what you have going on at Bravada Gold. Okay, well, thank you for having me, Jay. That's always a pleasure to talk with you. Uh, we are a junior explorer and developer, and um, we are really working almost, well, exclusively in Nevada at this time, and there's a number of good reasons for that. As your, your uh, listeners probably know, Nevada produces well over 5 million ounces of gold per year, and the state uh, is actually quite good at, at replacing those ounces. So the exploration uh, possibilities are quite good. We've been working in the state now for just about, well, a little over 10, ten years, and we've been acquiring and sort of upgrading our portfolio during that period. Our lead project is uh, Wind Mountain, which is uh, north of Reno. It's a past producer, produced around well 300,000 ounces of gold and uh, almost 2 million ounces of silver. And uh, we acquired this from one of the majors, Agnico Eagle, and uh, it's, it's an, it was a great opportunity for us. We acquired the property, uh, found a lot of the historic data that was uh, sort of lost and, and in people's attics and that sort of thing, put together what we thought was a pretty interesting exploration project, and uh, we've drilled a number of holes. At this point, we have a, a 43101 compliant resource that consists of uh, an indicated resource of 570,000 ounces of gold, just under 15 million ounces of silver, and in addition to that, there's an inferred resource of 350,000 ounces of gold and a little over 10 million ounces of silver. So it's a substantial resource. It basically sticks up out of a hillside. Grade is uh, reasonably low, um, pretty typical for some of the new discoveries in Nevada. The uh, the margin, though, is quite good for the, uh, several reasons. One is the strip ratio. There's very little material that needs to be moved to, uh, to get at the ore-bearing material, and uh, it leaches extremely well. So the silver is also a very nice kicker. We actually did a resource uh, or a PEA in uh, 2012, and we used fairly conservative numbers. Uh, we used a base case of $1,300 gold, $24 silver, and uh, it showed a fairly impressive return on investment of 29%. Pre-tax NPV discounting at 5% was uh, just under $43 million. And, of course, uh, going to... You know, even close to today's price, there's a dramatic increase in the uh, NPV and also in the uh, internal rate of return. Oh, indeed. If you're looking at uh, $1,700 gold today, I'm looking at 1724 right now on the screen. Even though it's down six bucks today, that compares to 1300. I can imagine. Uh, and silver is. I'm not sure where that's in the 32 or so, 34. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we would be looking at at much higher numbers, I'm sure, with those with those kind of uh, with those kind of numbers, what sort of uh, stripping ratio are you are you looking at there, Joe? That's about 0.7 to one. Uh huh. So there's, there's less than one ton of non ore bearing material for every ton of uh, of ore. Okay, and uh, what sort of uh, recovery rates are you talking about for gold and silver on a on a leach operation? Yeah, well, it's. It, I mean, there's a number of ways you can handle it, but the in the, the least expensive way is to 
have open pit mining with just run-of-mine leaching, and that way you, you're not crushing. Uh, we're not sure that that's the best way to go at this point, but uh, that's what we used in the model. That gives us a, uh, a recovery of about 62% for gold and around 15% for silver. Have there been crushing, some uh, Have there been some tests done using uh, crushing the ore? Uh, only minimal work. We've we've got some information on the hardness and that sort of thing. It's pretty hard to get actual hard numbers on on what that cost would be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's something that we need to do some additional work on. It, yeah. It's um, it, it partially depends on how big the mine is. For a small mine to crush, it's uh, it's more expensive. If uh, if we get make it much much larger, then then it probably does make sense to crush because the silver recovery could go up to thirty to fifty percent, something in that range. Gold would go up to maybe seventy seventy five percent recovery. Well, you've had some uh, preliminary economic studies on the on the project. Can you tell our listeners about that? How did those numbers come out? Well, it came out quite good. The base case, as I mentioned, was was fairly conservative, using thirteen hundred dollar gold and twenty four dollar silver. That gave a, a net present value of the project of forty two point nine million dollars. That's at a five percent discount rate and a turnover rate of return of twenty nine percent. The uh, I guess the beauty of it is the payback is two and a half years. Mm. Now, using you know, in that study, they also do sensitivity tests, and so if you increased uh, the recovery or the price of gold, say uh, 1690 gold, they give that as an example, that would be a plus 30% uh, oh. increase. Mm-hmm. That increases the internal rate of return to 74% and the net present value at 136 million dollars. So you can see it's 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 highly leveraged to the price of gold. Obviously a 30% lower um, you know doesn't look very good. Okay, Joe, 100 136 million dollar present value. What uh discount factor are they using 5% or so? Using, like well, yeah, we use 5%. That seems to be standard for Okay, reporting. but now this is this this sort of pinpoints why I bought the stock for my own uh, portfolio, and of course, uh, it's hard to say. You know, nothing is certain in this business. That's for sure. But if you're looking at a market cap here around seven million dollars, you've got one project here that that is arguably uh, worth quite a bit more than the current what the market is paying for your stock. You also uh, have uh, had quite a. Well, you've got a, a recently. You've had a, an agreement. I think that's very important. Also. Uh, bolstered my confidence because one of, one of the big problems, of course, in this uh, mining environment, uh, you know, you, you have the PEA, it suggests a value that's much higher than the market is paying, but unless the market is ready to pay, it's very difficult to raise capital, but you've reached an agreement uh, with Argonaut Gold. Talk to us a little bit about that. Sure. They're a, they're a good mid-tier producer. Uh, they have two mines in production in Mexico. They produced uh, in 2011 something like 72,000 ounces of gold. Uh, th- this year they'll be up close to uh, 100,000 ounces of gold. They're mining deposits very similar to what we have at Wind Mountain, uh, very similar in grade, open pit, heap leach. And so this is their first foray outside of uh, actually outside of Mexico in the first time in Nevada, even though their headquarters is here in Reno. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, they, they saw this as a, as a good opportunity uh, because our feeling is that we can increase the size of this deposit pretty significantly. The deposit model is is, is very similar to the High Croft mine in, in Nevada, which Allied Nevada has, has done you know great things with. Mm-hmm. Uh, very similar in age, very similar in uh, metallurgy, very similar in uh, in the grade that uh, you know that that's being produced. So what they've done, uh, we've agreed to do is, is, is 
somewhat of a unique opportunity. Uh, we have agreed to spend, uh, or they have agreed to spend seven and a half million dollars over a three-year period. It's actually an option they can pull out at uh, at any point, but. Uh, during that period, if they stay in, they can purchase the number of ounces that we have that are in the measured and indicated category for $30 an ounce. Now, you know, you pointed out, you know, our market cap divided by the million ounces, that's, that's roughly or indicated in fur, that's, you know, that's, uh, that's $5 an ounce or so. Mm-hmm. So it's a pretty good premium over the, you know, for example, had we gone to the market to try to dilute our shareholders. Yeah. So it's a better opportunity for us. We would get paid as half in stock, which I'd be happy to own their shares, as well as half cash. In addition, if, uh, you know, as is often the case, once they start mining, there's often other deposits that are found as you start learning more and more about the deposit in detail. If that happens and they actually mine more than what they pay us for, then we actually get a royalty on top of that. So it really does protect our shareholders' uh, you know, from on the upside, as well as reducing the risk. At this point, we have about four dollars an ounce in the ground for acquisition of this property and, and development to it to this point. So, you know, it's, it's a pretty darn good return on investment, I believe. Yeah, it, it certainly sounds like it. Uh, six cents a share. Uh, BVA is a symbol, and people should really. Uh, also, your your website. What is the website where people can go to to keep up with what you're doing? It's bravadagold.com. Bravada gold.com easy enough to remember you you, uh, you certainly so maybe you just take a minute and talk to us about uh, about the exploration potential I mean can you give us some sense of what your targets are and, and how much uh, will you be spending or I guess Argonaut will be financing uh, going forward into the next year mm-hmm. yeah well we signed the deal in September and in October 15 you know roughly a month later we started a, our drilling program we've just completed that and so it's a 12-hole program that uh, is designed to test three uh, brand-new targets. And so we're uh, we're just kind of wrapping that up at this point. That's a $250,000 program. Mm-hmm. You know, based on that, then we'll reassess and decide where, where to proceed from there. When do you expect some numbers to come out soon? Well, like I said, we, we literally just finished uh, uh, this past weekend. So it would yeah. be probably a month before the lab pushes all the samples and the check samples through. Okay, you've got, uh, besides uh, Wind Mountain, you do have some other uh, worthwhile properties as well. I guess uh, not nearly as advanced. Uh, this, after all, Wind Mountain is a f- former producer. But talk to us a little bit about a couple of the other properties you have in Nevada. Sure, yeah. Well, we, as I mentioned early on, we've been in the state for about 10 years. Actually, most of us working uh, for Bravada have been here for much longer. But we've been acquiring properties. We have now 18 properties. That's about 50 square miles. Uh, we have, you know, there, there are a number of productive trends in Nevada and we've been really watching those you know those um, areas that we we feel are perspective for that time period and have been acquiring property during that time we have two other actually fairly advanced projects uh, one is a project we're earning into it's also a past producing mine the original uh, reserve was uh, about 350,000 ounces at a little over six and a third ounce or grams per ton. So quite a high-grade Carlin-type system we're earning into that property. It's called Keto uh, from Yamana. Mm-hmm. And another property that would be sort of our third most advanced project is in the Cortez trend. Now, the Cortez trend has, what, maybe 50 million ounces in past production and resource identified with you know more ounces being discovered every year. We have a property that we're earning into with with uh, 
with Newmont, and it's a pretty exciting project. We're hoping to have that property drilled sometime uh, this winter. And uh, I have to ask the question, what about financing for your expenditures, and how much do you expect to spend going forward in the next year or so? Well, our expenditures right now are pretty minimal because we're spending all of our effort on Wind Mountain, which is being financed by uh, by Argonaut. Uh-huh. So our expenditures are, are fairly low at this point. Uh, we have a budget that we'd like to do sometime in the next year, you know, something in the half-million-dollar range. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that would require us to do a financing at some point. Yeah, well, uh, hopefully uh, the market starts to recognize the intrinsic value you seem to have at Wind Mountain that, uh, so you can do some financing a bit more efficiently than you could at six cents a share, that's for sure. But uh, certainly it, uh, a lot of interesting things you've got going on here. Uh, again, that's bravadagold.com. Uh, anything else you'd like to add before we conclude our discussion today? Well, I just think that ex- explorers eventually are going to have to come into their own, in part because the producers are just not doing very much exploration. There aren't a whole lot of properties being discovered each year, and, and things like Wind Mountain are, are very difficult to come by, and, and uh, you know we're very proud of the work we've done there. Very good. Well, one last question, though, I just now thought of before we go to a break. Uh, you, you know, it's it's not a certainty that Argonaut will stick around with you. What do you think they'll need to see uh, to seal the deal for them? Well, of course, I can't speak for them uh, explicitly, but they've indicated to me that they're, they'd like to see something in the order of seventy-five thousand ounces uh, mm-hmm. per year production. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, that would be significant. Uh, you know, compared to what they're producing right now. Now, they're you know from their two mines, they're producing about that. Uh, a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So I, I think we're pretty close. I don't yeah. think we're gonna well, it's going close. to be really interesting to watch you, uh, watch your progress, bravadagold.com or brav- uh, bravadagold.com. That's right. Uh, and uh, so thank you very much, Joe. I certainly uh, hope to talk to you again sometime in the near future, and I'll certainly be keeping up uh, with your progress for my own account as well as my uh, subscribers to J. Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Thank you very much for being with us today. Folks, don't go away. I'll be right back with some closing thoughts on today's show. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Eurasian Minerals is a prospect generation exploration and royalty company focused on the discovery of gold and copper. The company currently has over 140 properties on four continents. Our joint venture partners have committed to spend over $15 million on Eurasian Minerals projects in 2012. The company maintains a tight share structure a low cash burn rate, and holds $43 million in cash, creating value through discovery, growth, and royalties. Eurasian Minerals. I've recently recommended Northern Free Gold to my subscribers because its nearly 6 million gold equivalent ounce resource can lead to a major rise in its share price. The company's Yukon project is in a politically safe jurisdiction far from population centers, and it is advantaged with road access and nearby electricity. A large deposit and a vision of positive economics should make Northern Free Gold an acquisition target. The potential upside, in my view, for these shares is major. 
Blue Sky Uranium is a leading pioneer in the exploration for uranium in the Patagonia region of Argentina. Their exploration success has attracted one of the world's largest multinational nuclear power companies to fully fund Blue Sky's exploration programs. Argentina is very focused on nuclear to provide for their energy needs, yet they do not currently produce the required uranium to feed the reactors. Blue Sky has opened up a new frontier for exploration for uranium in Argentina with an objective of supplying both domestic and international markets. Bravada Gold Corporation controls 18 exploration and development properties covering nearly 50 square miles in Nevada's well-known gold trends. Its flagship Wind Mountain Gold Silver Project is 100% owned and had an independent updated resource estimate and positive preliminary economic assessment in early 2012. This past September, Bravada signed an agreement with Argonaut Gold to further explore and develop Wind Mountain. For further information, please visit bravadagold.com. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and we really do want to turn these hard times into good times, if at all possible. And honestly, I believe I've heard a couple of things today that give me a great deal of encouragement and hope in terms, of, at least on a personal level. Uh, both of the companies we talked to today, Riverside uh, Riverside Resources with John Mark Stoudy, with the major companies, Anna Vagasta and Cliffs, and a lot of other smaller companies that are spending lots of money to earn into some very very good uh, properties and projects and prospects, uh, I think, give Riverside Resource shareholders a very good uh, a reason to hope. And uh, certainly if Antivagasta and Cliffs hit on something big, you're looking at really major returns, even though I believe that something like 30% would be the retained value of those properties for Riverside. But 30% of a multi-billion dollar or a billion dollar deposit can be very, very meaningful for a minuscule market cap company like Riverside, which is Really, and the main thing with a company like Riverside, a prospect generator like that, and there are several others on my list that I follow, uh, Millrock Resources, another sponsor of this show that's a, uh, that is also a, a prospect generator, uh, is that they keep the number of shares at a minimal. This is, uh, this is really very, very important to keep the number of shares down because dilution is the major risk, I think, for the junior exploration companies, especially in markets like the ones we're in now where it's very difficult to raise capital. The markets are undervaluing. They're undervaluing these companies very, very considerably. Case in point is Bravada Gold. When I just we just went over those numbers a little bit ago with John, uh, with Joseph Kizis, and you know we're looking at uh, at current prices something like a net present value of 126 million dollars for that company's um, Wind Mountain project. Well, the company's selling right now at seven million dollars. Uh, lots of upside exploration potential, so that number could be a lot bigger than 126 million going forward. There's no guarantees in this world, of course, but the point is that we're looking at a market capitalization of seven million compared to 126 million at current gold and silver prices using the preliminary ex- assessment that was done. I believe that it's a matter of time, as Joseph was suggesting before, these companies are priced up closer to what their present value, their intrinsic value is. Bravada Gold 
has lots and lots of upside potential in my view, as do a whole lot of other companies in my newsletter and uh, and the ones that we're talking about, by and large in this company, uh, uh, the sponsors of this show that we have coming on to talk about their projects from time to time. Uh, with respect to uh, Dominic Frisbee's comments and the overall gold markets and, and the markets in general, uh, he talked about the uh, the trade of the century or the trade of at least a, a couple of decades would be uh, going short the long bond market when those interest rates finally turn around. You know, the long-dated treasuries, we've been in a bull market since 1982, uh, and this bull market has been kept going, of course, by artificial money, by manipulation of the markets by the Federal Reserve Bank. Funny money being created uh, purchases of, of the treasuries by money created out of nothing. Well, this is going to be a disaster in time. I have no doubt about that. This is going to be a big, big problem. And yet, when we look at the markets today, I look at TLT. That's a, an ETF that will allow you to buy the long-dated U.S. treasuries. Again, it's up. And if you look at the technical, uh, look at the charts from a technical perspective, uh, it's not looking good for the bears uh, right now. It looks like interest rates, as A. Gary Schilling is suggesting, could continue to decline more, uh, even further than from where they've been. So I don't know how many of my friends, uh, mostly my friends that are inflationists, have been betting against the long-dated treasuries. They've been wrong, wrong, wrong. A. Gary Schilling has been right. Uh, almost nobody, very few, very few people have been right. Mish Shedlock has been right for the most part. Mish is a little more agnostic on this question. We talked to him last week, and he's not quite as sure uh, as A. Gary Schilling is that we're going to continue to see uh, strength in the long-dated bond market. But uh, who knows? Uh, Robert Prechter, on the other hand, is, a, uh, is an extreme bear on the markets, and Prechter now believes uh, he has turned bearish on the long-dated treasuries as well. And Prechter thinks that uh, interest rates uh, will start to rise, not because we have some kind of a recovery or hyperinflation, but rather because there will be massive defaults. And massive defaults at the government level, of course. We've seen sovereign debt defaults already in, in uh, Greece, uh, Spain, Portugal, some of these other places, so it's not unheard of. Uh, gold looks very bullish, according to Dominic. I think it does as well. We are basically out of time. I should mention, next week we're going to have Roger Conrad with us. How do we get income in this kind of a market when uh, we're in a Great Depression? I mean, the policymakers don't like to say it, but we are in a depression. And as Richard Russell has pointed out, when we get into this massive insolvency, global insolvency problem, the big issue is going to be where do we get money, where do we get cash flow? Well, Roger Conrad will be here next week to talk about uh, some safe places where you can get returns of 5% or better. We are out of time. I want to thank Tracy uh, Trump, my uh, executive producer, and Matt Widemer, my engineer, for making this show logistically possible. Thanks to each of you for listening. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.